Welcome back to the Charlotte Angel Connection, the Charlotte area podcast linking entrepreneurs, investors, and the broader Charlotte community. As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. Today, we welcome a husband and wife co-founding team of CareWell. Uh, Bianca and Jonathan started CareWell a couple years ago, started it actually in Jonathan's parents' house, um, in their um, in their house, and moved the headquarters to Charlotte not too long ago and have been rapidly growing the company ever since. Um, they've been great assets to the entrepreneurial community. I got to know them last year when they hired their first BFA fellow in 2019. And then as the business continued to explode over the course of 2020, um, you know, just thought it was worth would be a, a great conversation for listeners to reach out and talk to them about how they were able to do everything during you know COVID nineteen. How ultimately, um, as a result of the pandemic this year, they were able to grow the business faster. Um, and you know, obviously, they've recently finished a successful raise that I think a lot of folks saw in different publications as well. So just wanted to talk to them about, you know, what's it like to start start the business together, uh, the explosive growth they've, um, they've had, how they've done it, how they've pivoted, how they raise money, and, you know, essentially what's it like to, to run the startup ramp together. So really good, solid interview on a company that's making lots of waves here in the Charlotte area. And really excited to bring you their story here on another episode of the Charlotte Angel Connection. All right, Bianca and Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Hi. So thanks for having us. Yeah. <clears throat> so, anyways, y'all got a um, y'all got a lot to share. I think um, really neat story. Um, so let's kind of dive straight into it. Um, can we just do y'all mind just taking a couple minutes and um, letting the audience know what Carewell is? And from just some of my research over the course of the last couple of weeks, too, maybe just as importantly, what it's not. Sure. <coughs> So CareWell is the most trusted and convenient online source of home health supplies, and we particularly cater to family caregivers who actually uh, support uh, the 90% of of, uh, seniors and uh, people with disabilities and people who are sick um, throughout the United States. Um, and so we, you mentioned what we're not. So we're not a marketplace. Uh, we are an e-commerce company. We control the entire experience. Um, so if, if something gets lost in the, in the mail, you know, it's not like you're reaching out to some third-party listing. Uh, you actually reach out to us um, and we make sure immediately to send you a new package. So we're really on the ball. Um, we really provide a, a human interaction. It feels like a mom and pop shop. Uh, when you call in and when you're a customer, you know who Jonathan and Bianca are because um, we're that involved. Jonathan and I spent the first two years um, handling all of the customer care uh, calls ourselves um, yeah. and all of the customer uh, interactions. So we we really um, have built a, an incredibly intimate business um, with true and trusted uh, relationships with uh, our, our customers. Um, and we call them, you know, our CareWell family. Um, it's actually the legal name of the business is CareWell Family Inc. Um, and we have several family members who work uh, inside of the company. So it really feels tight knit. Um, and that's, you know, kind of the the difference between us and, you know, a big box retailer or, you know, a, a big online store where you, you really don't get to speak to anybody. And when you're buying these products for the very first time, you know, you take somebody home from the hospital after they've fallen you have absolutely no idea what you're doing, right? You're like, what? Like, what wound care do I need? And I need adult diapers, but what, you know, I know what a diaper is, but how do I put that on my mom or my dad? And how am I, how am I going to even get them to wear that? Um, and so there's a lot of questions that you have and you're just nervous and, and you're afraid. And when you're caring for someone who you love and who's taken care of you most likely your whole life, um, it's much more emotional, uh, than it is transactional. And so that's why we created this service was because John and I saw that firsthand 
Uh, my mom was a caregiver to uh, my grandmother who lived with us. And uh, I could just see, you know, her pain and her frustration and her stress and anxiety um, and wanting to get it right. And, you know, I went online, tried to help her as a millennial, you know, we use the internet a lot. And I was just in shock by the lack of support, lack, lack of options that existed. You know, we, I, I, I immediately thought, like, why isn't there a Chewy.com uh, for family caregivers, right? Like, we have uh, an incredible service that caters to, to pet owners and, and pet parents. We have nothing that caters to uh, this massive and growing um, generation of baby boomers who are retiring um, and our parents, right, who are part of that generation, but also caring for their parents right now, um, who are going to need so much help. So that's how this whole thing started. So that's a um, that's a big undertaking, right? Um, so we'll use the dirty word real quick. You said you said it yourself, so I only repeat what you said, which is millennial, right? Um, so I mean, you're a millennial, and we're talking about caregiving. Um, you're curating the stuff that's on your website um, and you're providing useful information about the stuff that's on um, that people are buying as well as just um, how to do things that they might not know how to do otherwise. That's a much harder um, track than just starting to throw stuff on a site and sell it. Right. So why'd you decide to go the hard route route rather than the easy route? That's a great question. So that's really where our competitive advantage comes from, right? That's how we're able to compete is through this expertise. Um, right now, all of that expertise has come from us learning about the products, both with the manufacturers, um, the distributors that we work with, as, along with this massive community of caregivers that we speak to every single day. Um, and so we're hearing back, you know, what works, what doesn't work, why, and able to tailor those recommendations. And so the next part of CareWell, the next iteration and, and why we raise mm. money is to take all of this knowledge and expert content or expertise mm. and make it into usable, uh, easy to understand content um, that you can find online and self-serve. Because a lot of people, you know, in our generation don't want to pick up the phone and call. Um, in the older generation, that's still a really, really important aspect of the entire customer experience. Um, but still, people want to just be able to go online. They want to be able to research things. And there's no place right now where you can get actionable uh, kind of a to-do list of what you need and why you need it, um, how to use the products, how not to use the products, which is just as important. Um, and so that's really, you know, one can't come without the other, in my opinion, at least, you know, you can't go to the store and just know what you're buying when it comes to medical and home health supplies. Uh, so I don't think we could even be successful if we were just to list a bunch of products on a, on a page. In fact, I know, uh, because that's how we started by listing a bunch of products, not really knowing a bunch. Um, we started as millennials, not knowing how to cater to a demographic, you know, that was far different from us. Um, and being on the phone with customers mm -hmm. and spending so much time I'm talking about thousands of hours and thousands of customers, um, we created a service based off their feedback and, and what they really liked. Um, so again, it's, it's our competitive advantage. It's what people really need. Uh, it's how we can add value and, and make their lives easier, which is what our mission is. Yeah, and to add to that, um, like Bianca said, we really came in with no assumptions. Like we didn't assume what people wanted. It was mostly just us listening to the customers and learning ourselves what they wanted and learning about the products and then being able to tailor the service from there. Yeah. So talk about, um, so let's go back and talk about that. Um, cause you made, made a, a really interesting comment. It started off as just a website selling stuff. Um, and so, you know, at some point in time you pivoted, how early was it on in the venture that you realized that just selling stuff wasn't going to cut it? Yeah. So within three months, um, you know, uh, Let's be honest here. We were sitting, uh, we started this company in, in Jonathan's uh, bedroom. Um, his his parents were really nice in letting us live there. And we had a, kind of the garage where we set up, you know, these free samples. Um, and as soon as we were listing the products, we had no idea about them. We didn't know how much uh, we should price them at and why. We didn't know the different qualities between each um, category of items. And so just for us to list them in an organized fashion, we had to meet with these manufacturers so that they could teach us um, about the products, right? And so we, you know, 
when when I say the manufacturers, I'm talking about people who are nurses who work for them, um, who've you know gone into sales and now they're you know going around and teaching you know rehab centers, assisted living facilities, etc., about why they should use these products. Um, so they have intimate knowledge about how to use these products, when not to, etc. Um, but this is a different market, right? When you are in a nursing home, when you're in assisted living, when you're a rehab center, um, these these folks are, are quite price conscious, right? Um, when you're taking care of your loved one, you really want the best um, experience for them. You want the best quality of care. Um, so, you know, we had to f- figure out how to recommend these be- the best products, how to make sure that we're recommending something that doesn't give somebody, you know, a rash or, or uh, you know, tears their skin, because that really can affect quality of life. You know, um, tears in, in older people's skin could be life-threatening. Um, and so, and the second part of that is, you know, when you're speaking to customers, they ask you really great, great questions, you know, and so you had to be educated in that. Um, and that was the, the first two things that we noticed. And so within those first three months, you know, we went back out, started speaking to every single manufacturer uh, that would meet with us that we, you know, represented as a brand. And, um, you know, we, we intimately understood and learned about these products. And the next step was, you know, when we spoke to customers and we re- made those recommendations, they'd call us back. And they, they'll tell us whether they liked it or not and, and what about it that they liked or that they didn't like. Um, and so that's where, you know, you learn so much about these products and, and how they work in a, in a real life setting, in a home setting uh, where people, you know, care more about the quality um, than they do about the price. And so that was really important. That was one of our biggest findings. And, and still today, that's exactly how we do it. I guess that's true. It's a great thing about working with the older generation is they're not um, they're not hesitant to speak their mind anymore, right? They don't oh, bite no. their tongue. They just they just come out and say what they want it's to say. The best. We've along, had the funniest conversations. Yeah, I was going to say, along with feedback, we've heard a bunch of crazy stories as well, and things that you know we never thought we would hear on a customer service line. That's awesome. Um, but it's it's been great, like learning the actual customers. You start to build a relationship with these customers, oftentimes, and. That's what also helps, you know, bring them back. They really do trust you at the end of the day. And as long as you're giving them those fair recommendations and kind of giving off the knowledge that you've learned, um, they can sense that. So it's been really important as well. So do you ever feel like Jake from State Farm or you're answering the phone call at 3 a.m. in the morning? (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly how. People still call our customer Hmm. care line. And and John works in customer care. He has like a customer care hour um, per week that he still, or or a few hours per week um, that he still, you know, maintains time on the phone because it's it's just so important for us. You know, the speaking, um, their mind is is extraordinarily important, right? Because you do get that feedback. Um, how did you start to document it, right? Was I mean, were we on um, like um, post-it notes? Um, were you a little bit more technical? Were you in a spreadsheet? Or how were you starting to track and really being able to, um, to I don't know, make critical decisions on things that you were and were not listing on your platform? Yeah, I mean, well, one of it is you just remember, right? So people just call in and you just remember what people like and why they don't. Um, But once we, you know, started adding more customer care agents, uh, we, you know, had to document all this stuff. And so we use a a company called Guru. Um, It used to be on like a Google Doc. And and so we formalized that and made it searchable. Um, And so we use a a platform called Guru. Uh, We also have, you know, actual product training, you know, our training lasts eight days um, when you're a customer care specialist. And so, you know, you're trained on customer service, um, you're trained on empathy. So, you know, a lot of this is, is um, giving service in the way that you'd like to be treated. Um, and it's also about understanding, you know, the questions that people are trying to ask, not necessarily because a lot of times they don't even know what to ask. Um, so really trying to get into their head and, and, and read their mind a little bit and, and try to get them to ask the right questions. Um, and then the, the last part of that training is, is all about products. Um, you know, and figuring out, you know, why is, why, what are the different lines of products? What are the different brands that exist? Uh, what is, what's the difference between quality and the difference between products that are within those? Um, and then you start teaching, you know, the different nuances when you're kind of on the job, you know, when somebody has this specific rec- uh, question about a product or they want a specific recommendation, um, or they're using the products incorrectly. Um, that's when, you know, we have a Slack channel and people will ask questions if they don't know the answer. And then we have, a, you know, the rest of the customer care team jumps in and, and answers that question or links it back to a guru card. Um, and then all of those questions get converted into guru cards um, that whatever's not what 
already being answered in there. Um, so we have a whole process around that, um, and it's it's getting better every day. So, um, so I buy product from the company. It gets shipped. I have a question about it. Um, immediately or 10 days later, I'm picking up the phone and calling Carewell, not the product manufacturer, to find out how I should be using it. Is that kind yeah. of sort of the business model? Yep, exactly. Um, gosh knows the manufacturers must be clawing to be on your um, on your platform, right? <laughs> they are. Um, they are. And, uh, you know, sometimes even if you speak to the manufacturer, they might not you know, they want to keep you on that same brand. Um, and so, you know, we're mindful of that. If somebody has, you know, a brand affinity, we'll try to keep them on that brand. But sometimes there are better products in, in different categories or different brands, right, that the customer just doesn't know about, you know, because they're only familiar with this one product. So we really try to make it uh, the recommendations unique to each customer and do what's best for them, uh, which, of course, you're not going to get uh, when you're when you're speaking to a brand who has several items that they carry. They're going to want to keep you on that same that same line. Um, so that's kind of the difference also is that you're going to get like an honest perspective here. Uh, we, we don't make recommendations based off of margins or price or anything. It, it's truly what's best for the customer uh, because we're more focused on the retention and making sure that a customer stays with us long term than it is about making a sale. Um, we want to have that relationship and own that relationship and, and build that trust over time. And, and that's what's most important for us. And what we've seen is most important to our, for our customers as well. Um. So, I mean, that's got to make it so that, <clears throat> uh, I mean, at this stage, and probably not right out of the gate, but at this stage in the ball game, with the publicity you're getting, the users are starting to track to the website. Um, and manufacturers have to be pitching y'all pretty hard to get on the platform, which means you've really got to, you've really got to understand it fairly well to know the right questions to ask to kind of tear down the positive positives and negatives of, of what they're trying to get you to have on your platform. Right. Yeah. And it's different for y'all because they're, I mean, they're typically used to pitching the nursing home. And when you're pitching the nursing home, it's a different end user, right? I mean, you're, you're talking about a nurse, a skilled nurse or somebody that's going to be using the product. Y'all's end user in probably 90% of the instances isn't a skilled nurse. It's somebody that has no idea what they're doing. Um, you know, to your point, it's a family caregiver. Um, so it's a completely different market from the pitch to. Absolutely. Uh, and that's a great point that you brought up. Actually, when we started, uh, nobody was interested. Um, in, in selling on Carewell, of course. Um, <laughs> people, you know, still are very weary of, of e-commerce and the internet. They don't understand, uh, or they're starting now to understand what a big opportunity uh, direct-to-consumer is. There's never been a player like us in this space. You know, it's very old-fashioned. You're, you're really going, like, like you just mentioned, to nursing homes, assisted, assisted living, uh, hospitals, et cetera. Um, which represents a huge uh, portion of the market, and you know it's how they've done business for for years. And so, you know, everything's changing now. People are, are especially with COVID, as you can imagine, um, people have pulled their parents out of uh, assisted living, out of nursing homes, et cetera, um, you know, because of just the the risk to their lives. Forty uh, percent, I believe, of all COVID uh, deaths have uh, been linked back to a nursing home. Um, and they were already in the decline. So since 2015, uh, 550 nursing uh, nursing. Uh, facilities have closed in America. Um, so there really is just this need uh, for these products in the home. Uh, people want to age in their homes, right? They don't want to have to go to a, to a they don't want to leave. And, um, you know, we have to do a better job as a society of lifting these people up, giving them the resources they need um, to manage this care um, and, and this aging process within their homes. Um, and so, you know, manufacturers are saying that they're getting on board. Um, and we're figuring out how best to reach the customer, how best to present this information, because a lot of times manufacturers, they're used to selling to people who understand these products. They're used to, you know, talking about ammonia and all these different chemicals that might hurt the skin. Well, you know, a normal consumer doesn't know what that is. Um, and so that's been, you know, the one of the hardest uh, aspects about this is we had to start learning about all these different kind of medical terms and conditions. Um, and then it's like, how do you repackage this information in an easy to understand way? Um, and that's the back to, right. Your first question was, you know, why, why do this? This seems so much harder. 
but it's truly where you add the most value. It's where you can um, earn the trust. It's where you position yourself as, as a trusted expert in the space. And it's just what's needed, right? It just doesn't exist. Um, so yeah, manufacturers are definitely taking notice. So as they take notice then, I mean, have they gotten to the point yet, Jonathan and Bianca, um, where they are literally starting to develop products specifically for you? Because if they haven't, they're almost certainly going to within the next year to two, right? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. So they've started coming out with pro- lines of products that are much higher quality than what they have now. Um, and so you'll see this shift, right? Like what I've mentioned is these price points have been really low. The quality of product has been really low, um, which is because it typically goes to hospital systems, et cetera, really price conscious. Um, when you're giving qual- when you're giving care in your home and to somebody you love, they really care about that quality. And so we've seen a whole ton of uh, brands come out with like a premium uh product or a premium line of products um, that really cater to this uh, in-home market. Um, And so we don't have, we don't sell any products that we make ourselves yet. Um, You know, it it hasn't been on our roadmap um, because what we're really looking for is to reach more customers um, and not necessarily, you know, uh, you know, bring to market new products, but there is certainly an opportunity um, on, on the private label side and on developing products that customers are asking for, uh, cause so many products just don't exist. Right. Yeah. And when we have that direct line to the customer, they're asking for products like a hairbrush with a longer handle or, you know, just, just a toothbrush, you know, that, that fits better in, in my dad's hand because, you know, he, he can't hold the toothbrush well. Um, so all these different products, you know, that just don't exist, um, or maybe they do, they're starting to reach out, right. Yeah. Uh, to, to get featured on the site, um, because another part of it is, you know, you, you can go uh, online and there's just a jungle of products everywhere. There's nothing that's curated uh, for people who, you know, are aging. And so it's hard to shop for them when you don't even know what exists, what, you don't know what it's called. Um, you know, you might have an idea for a product, but, you know, is it even there? You know, who sells this? You know, can I trust the quality? Can I trust where it was made? Um so all these things are important and, and that's, you know, what CareWell serves is, is that demographic of people looking for a curated selection. Yeah. I mean, you can almost see like the Costco model with y'all, right? Where, you know, anything that y'all private label must be what it has to be a percent be- or at least 1% better than anything else they sell. Yep. Um, so, um, I mean, kind of talking about that Costco model too, though, how, I mean, how do you prevent, because again, I can imagine now people are coming at you from a thousand different angles, trying to get their products on the platform. How do you prevent now and in the future from it becoming, um, just a jungle of mess that's on there, right? Where it's not, it becomes so overloaded that it's no longer useful. How do you manage that appropriately? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I, you know, I think Chewy does a great job of this. They have, you know, a whole team, a whole merchandising team that really focuses on, on product selection and, and what they're going to feature um, and making sure that those products are, you know, up to par. Um, something we always do, you know, if a product doesn't score a high enough rating, we usually remove the listing from the site. We don't want people buying products that, you know, they're just not going to like. Um, and so we have a team, you know, who does that and, and we rely a lot on their expertise. Um you know, and and the big thing here is that people want more products. They want more selection, um, not less right now, right? Because there's not enough things in existence. So our 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 issue is is more so the opposite one, right? We we want more products. We want more options. Uh, we want more colors. We want better um, quality products uh, that just don't exist, um, or if they exist, you know, it's in very small quantities or at a very high price point, et cetera. Um, and part of, you know, our mission is to, to get, um, you know, products that people love, uh, at an affordable price, uh, to their homes. Yeah. So you mentioned team a minute ago. Um, you know, it's, it started off the two of you and, um, in, in Jonathan's parents' garage. Um, I would imagine what, at least right now you're not in the garage anymore. You're in a nice, uh, living room, dining room. I would imagine that the team's grown beyond, beyond y'all as well. So how have you, how have you grown that team? Yeah, we started growing the team about what, a year ago. Um, 20. So we made our first real hire in 2018. Um, okay. and then from there, 
um, 2019 was when we really started growing the team. Um, we grew to 10 people, I think, by September of 2019. And then when COVID hit, we had to, you know, as business started to kind of go up, people like Bianca mentioned were being pulled out of homes, people, more people being cared for in their homes and didn't want to go to the stores. So at that point, you knew we needed to hire more people, you know, to put on the phones as customer care specialists and kind of just the rest of the team. Um, so we actually hired a lot of our team remotely. Um, we're meeting them little by little in person um, when safe and healthy. But yeah, over the last year, I would say is when we've really grown our team. Um, and your team spread across your, um, your remote team, right? Yeah, so our team sits in, in Charlotte. Um, we have an office in South End. You can't see it right now because we're all working remote. Um, but uh, we have an office in South End. And so the majority of our team is here in Charlotte. We have uh, team members in Florida. We have team members in New York. And we have team members in Utah. Okay. Yeah, and it, it's actually one of the first things. I, I, I don't know if I, we've mentioned this, but we ended up raising money um, in uh, March, right before COVID hit. Uh, I think like two or three days before, literally, hmm. uh, we got two term sheets and um, ended up raising $5 million round. And the first thing we did was hire an incredible leadership team. So people, um, you know, to head our, our merchandising department, to head our marketing department, uh, communications and brand, and our engineering. Um, okay. And so half of the leadership team sits here um, and half of them hmm. sit in, between New York and, and, and Utah. Um, so talk about that. We'll come back to team again in a second, but since you brought it up, I'll, we'll hone in on it for a little while. Um, you raised a, um, I guess, a classic Series A ish in March. Is that the, what we classify? Is a seed round. Yeah. Um, so nice five million dollar seed round. Um, so you raised it from a number of different venture um, or venture capitalists. Um, how did that come about? Um, did y'all start to pursue it? Did your growth really start to prompt people to come to you? Um, how'd you settle on your amount? Just kind of walk through the actual, um, uh, the process for a little bit. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so we started thinking about fundraising once we realized, you know, we were growing a lot and we didn't have a pile of cash to really continue investing in the company. So it was really working off of the cash flows that we had. Um, and at that point, you know, it just wasn't sustainable. You know, we kind of took the business as far as we could. We bootstrapped it for three years um, off of just our savings. And um, we we couldn't run the business like that. We had, you know, 10 people who worked at CareWell. And if something bad happened, we we didn't have enough money to, to save the company and make sure that they had jobs. And so we felt personally responsible, of course, um, for, for doing what's best for, for the company and, and obviously the people who worked here. And so uh, we started preparing for the raise probably this time last year. We started thinking about, you know, well, how much money do we want to raise and, and what is the money going to go to, et cetera. And it took us about three months to really figure out, you know, what it is that we wanted to do. And, and we had set a deadline to start the fundraising process in January. Um, so, you know, we go home for the holidays. We're kind of preparing. Um, we come back and, you know, January, the first week of January, we were on a plane uh, between New York and, and San Francisco for the next uh, seven weeks. Uh, I was literally, I think I came home to Charlotte like two times and, and uh, the office did not see me. It was a, a crazy time. Um, luckily, I had Jonathan who was traveling with me half the time, and but we still needed, you know, the one of the founders back at home to really run the operation because we were still growing and hiring. Um, and so, you know, ended up uh, about seven or eight weeks in, we got uh, two term sheets, like I said, the first week of March. Um, so right before uh, COVID was was uh, truly you know hitting in the United States, um, we had a, we got a term sheet uh, in, in an airport in San Francisco, uh, which was crazy. Literally, uh, the the managing partner at the firm, uh, we were leaving that day. Like we were always on this tight tight deadlines between each city. Um, ended up showing up at the airport, giving us a term sheet. Um, I flew back to uh, Charlotte. Um, and another venture firm from Boston ended up flying into Charlotte that week, um, giving us another term sheet. Um, and then, you know, COVID sh shut everyone down. Everyone's computers got sent home. We sent home everyone's desks. It was crazy. Um, and I had these two term sheets that I was deciding between. Uh, and, and we had this just incredibly uncertain time, um, as you can imagine. And we were lucky to have them, but we were hearing of term sheets getting pulled, uh, et cetera. 
uh, you know, it wasn't a good time for anybody. And so my initial thought was, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Are these term sheets going to be pulled? What's going to happen? Uh, and at the same time, our business is, is growing astronomically because everyone's locked down and, and they want these products. They can't get anything. Um, so luckily that, you know, was a, a great sign to investors. They both, you know, kept the, the term sheets on the table. And what we ended up doing was combining both um, and taking a bigger round at that point because we didn't know, you know, what was going to happen. We were growing just so quickly. Um, from one month to the next, we grew 100%. Um, and in order to support that growth, you need, you know, people on the phones. So we had to hire a team of six people. We had to double our customer care team in the span of two weeks. Yeah, we had never hired more than one person in customer care at a time. And then, and <laughs> we had already planned to grow our team pretty largely. We didn't know we were going to go into lockdown yet. And then once we realized that, oh, you know, we're going into lockdown, we're not going to be able to have people in the office and train them. We realized also that we needed six new people based on our numbers. So training those six people remotely for the first time was definitely like a learning curve. But it was nightmarish. <laughs> I think I think it's definitely made us stronger just because now we can have that in office training whenever we do go back. But we also have the remote training kind of down pat after three different cohorts that we've trained now remotely. Um but yeah, definitely was an interesting time. Yeah. And I would like to add also about the investors. Um, the big thing about our two investors was they really saw the long-term vision of what we want Carewell to be. Um, they weren't so much concerned with the immediate growth right now and kind of where we were. They wanted to, they, they really liked where we planned to be in the future. So that was also really important for us. Yeah, I mean, you got investors that are interested um, specifically in this space, right? So um by and large, kind of sort of strategic investors from that standpoint where they're vested in the aging space too, right? Yeah. So one of the, so the two co-leads are eVentures and NextView. So San Francisco and Boston. Um, and right as we were closing, uh, a new firm called Primetime Ventures, uh, backed by Alan Patrickoff and um, Abby Levy, um, you know, they, they have just launched their venture, uh, their new venture fund, uh, particularly aimed at investing in, in aging uh, solutions. And so they actually ended up joining the round. We, we kind of made it even a little bit bigger for them. Um, like I said, we had only planned to raise about half the amount. Um, thankfully, we raised more. Again, you know, COVID really uh, was a, a, a crazy time here. And, you know, we had to grow a lot. And um you know, every all of our investors have personal experience as a caregiver to their loved one. Um, and I think that, you know, once you've gone through it, uh, you understand so well um, the lack of options, lack of resources, um, and it just makes a ton of sense, right? Um, sometimes when we're talking to people who are maybe my age, um, who are, you know, uh, working for the venture capital firms, they've never personally dealt with this issue. Um, as soon as I get somebody who's a little bit older, um, who's had to care for their parents or for their grandparents, they immediately um, understood. And so that's one of the, our, my favorite things about these investors is that uh, they've been personally impacted. Um, Alan's wife has has uh, Alzheimer's for, for 10 years now. And, um, you know, it, it's it's consuming and it's overwhelming and, and you don't know what to do. Um, and so once they understood, you know, the service that we were providing um, and, and how it was a family business um, and the approach that we took, this like really intimate approach, really relationship-based, really human, uh, it feels like this mom and pop shop, um, you know, it was, it was exactly what they were looking for. Um, and so we, we got really lucky. Uh, I think, you know, they're incredible investors. They've already added a ton of value, um, which is, you know, it could be a hit or miss when, when you go to raise money, you know, you're, you're marrying these people, um, you know, and I'm, I'm actually married to John. So it was an easy decision uh, to start a company. You know, actually, we started this company before we were married. Uh, we were four months into dating, but that's a separate that was, point. That was dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> that was dangerous, but we could have always broken up, right? Yeah. Uh, if, if it didn't work out, it wasn't that, that dangerous. But now, you know, we have this baby that we love so much that uh, people who we love with, uh, who we uh, work with, love so much, and it's something that we really want to protect and 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 encourage and and grow. Um, and so, making sure that we have the right investors on board who understand that long term vision, not just short term results, um, it, it was was crucial for us. And and so, I really do think we we got so lucky in, in the investors who 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 came in. 
So you raised five million. You were planning on raising what two, two and a half, or something like that. You bootstrapped prior to that. Had you done a friend, friends and family prior, or was it truly just y'all kind of bootstrapping from not taking salary, living off savings, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, we took out a small loan, um, and so in total, we'd only invested one hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars into the business um, to get it to to kind of the seed stage. Um, and I mean, at that point, we were doing. Uh, a few hundred thousand dollars in, in revenue. Um, and so, you know, we were running per month, yeah. really, yeah, per month. Um, so we were running, you know, so, so a few million dollars a year, uh, we were running really lean, like really mm. lean. Um, and so, you know, every month was a push to grow cause we really needed that money. Um, and it, it's been a, a huge relief to be able to kind of s- step back. Um, once you have this cash and, and figure out like, what are the, the, the biggest strategic opportunities we need to make, um, to reach more people, um, to, to provide better service and, and to really build a brand and, um, so much nicer now to not have to worry about the, you know, daily revenue. And I could be thinking about, you know, what are we doing? What are we accomplishing in a quarter? Uh, and it's more long-term thinking. For the investors out there, I just like to point out that you're still running the lean operation while it's not a video podcast. While it's oh, not trust a video, me, we definitely are. Yeah. <clears throat> I can I can see Jonathan working in the back with the with his computer raised on book. So you you haven't splurged on on better desk opportunities for Jonathan. Um, so anyway, so how'd y'all? Um, so you hadn't raised money before. I mean, you'd borrowed some money to get to where you were. Um, you know. Um, you're not serial entrepreneurs, right? You haven't been down this road before. Um, how'd you kind of come up with the number? How did you, how'd you figure out how you were going to tackle this fundraising process for folks that hadn't, hadn't done it before? Where'd you turn? Yeah, it was difficult. I mean, cause you're just like blinded, right? You have no idea what you don't even know. Um, and so we, um, you know, reached out to, to people who, who would know these types of things, right? Chris Langford is actually somebody uh, in the community who would come by our office and literally helped us make our pitch deck um, and helped us prep um, just for the fundraise. He went through, you know, our, our fundraising list and, and, and made connections where he could. Um, we had another um, person who worked on the team who uh, was from San Francisco, you know, so he had a network there in place. Um, and, and just reaching out to, to people who, who we knew. One of our uh, investors um, was from New York or like a family and friends type investors who came into the seed round. Um, he's been waiting to invest uh, since we started the company. And so he was making the, you know, the introductions to be able to, to come in as well. Um, and so, you know, reaching out to, to people who can help, who were willing to help, you know, which is not always easy. Um, and just uh, really preparing, right? So we read as many articles as we could on Medium um, on, on how to raise a seed round. Mark Suster's uh, articles were, were, were great uh, for anyone who's raising their first round. You know, he has a, a ton of great advice. Um, and we just followed the advice and, you know, um, it, it worked, <laughs> really. So, um, you know, we, we were able to wrap it up quickly. Um, and, uh, just, just lucky again to, to have, uh, closed it right in time, uh, for COVID and, and, and be able to take advantage of, um, you know, just the growth that we saw, uh, and, and again, you know, reach more people who, who really needed it. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's interesting. It's like the business model almost prepared you for growing a business of, you know, a startup, right? Because you, you had to listen to your customers very intently and learn from them in a rapid fashion in order to be able to grow the business. Um, and in the same way, in order to grow the business, you have to listen from all this feedback from, um, from, you know, investors and advisors and customers and everything else in order to do it. So it's almost like the first two years of taking all those phone calls preps you to, um, you know, a rapid growth process. So this um, pretty cool feedback loop, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so COVID came in and displays, you know, we've done a couple of different podcast interviews here recently with Charlotte founders who, you know, completely had their business model disrupted, right? Um, and you had your business model disrupted as well, but in a, in a positive way. So um, it wasn't all positive. Yeah, it definitely was not all positive. <laughs> Fair enough. We had a ton, right. ton of issues as well that came with it. 
Yeah. So talk, I mean, so, um, so revenue uh, eventually took off as a result of it. I mean, did you walk into COVID thinking, oh no, what is this going to mean for us? Um, how quick did you see that it was a positive rather than a negative? What were some of the challenges? Just talk about the last six months of, um, of what ultimately turned out to be good growth. So Absolutely. Yeah. I'm always pretty fearful of things. I'm very like risk mitigator. And the first thing I thought was, is UPS going to be able to deliver to all these new places with the pandemic out there? Are people going to accept deliveries? Um, is the supply chain going to stay intact or is it going to fall apart? Are we even prepared for this from a supply perspective in terms of like PPE supplies? And are people going to stop making diapers to make other things? And it was just a lot of things up in the air. Those those were my first thoughts, at least. I'm not sure if you yeah. there. A lot of it uh, was luck, to be honest. Um, what Jonathan mentioned, a lot of those things started happening, right? Um, we couldn't access PPE. We couldn't, uh, we still don't have gloves in stock. A lot of things just went out of stock, you know, just like they did in at, at the Costco's of the world. And, um, you know, that was frustrating because we, we serve this demographic who needs these supplies more than anybody, right? They're the ones who are most impacted by COVID and they cannot get the, the protective equipment they need to provide care. They can't get gloves. They can't get masks. They can't, get, you know, the, the stuff, how do you change a catheter with, with no gloves? Right. Um, and so you're hearing this frustration on the phone and you're here trying to fight, um, for these people who are invisible, who are in their homes, who are trying to care as best as they can for their loved ones. And, and they don't have the things they need to do so. Um, and so, you know, we, we went back, we fought, um, uh, we got some more supplies and, and, you know, we, we did what we could, um, and revenue was growing in different places, right? Incontinence products, for example, the adult diaper stuff. Um, a lot of, most of that is made in America. Um, so, you know, there wasn't ever going to be an issue there. You know, the, the manufacturing facilities were working around the clock to, to create more products. And, and, you know, it's easy uh, when it's made here. Um, and so, you know, that's the majority of the products that we sell are those products. And so, you know, we could at least still fulfill those orders. Um but we, we just had a huge difficulty getting, you know, the, the protective equipment uh, and we still do, you know, and it's still a concern moving mm -hmm. forward. Um, and so, you know, one of the things we learned was, you know, we have to make sure that we have multiple distributors in different parts of the country um, so that even if we need to place one off orders, we can because um, we really take these things personally. Right. We these are this is our family. And if your family can't get the equipment they need, um, you know, you can't sleep at night. Um, and our team wasn't sleeping on our, our customer care team was frustrated. Um, and so lots of positive things, of course, we grew, uh, in, in, uh you know, tremendously. Um, but at the same time, people just don't have access to the things that they need. Um, and so that's, you know, never, uh, never a positive. So you're now supply chain experts. <laughs> We're, we're not supply chain experts. We understand it a little bit better now, um, just a little bit better. And, and, and more so, you know, how do we uh, build defensibility into the business and make sure that um, we are trustworthy, that we, you can rely on us no matter what. Um, and it's not easy to do that during a pandemic, right? Yeah. Uh, this is just, you know, we've never, this entire country, the entire world um, has never had to face this issue um, in, 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 in modern times. Right. When we have UPS back then, they didn't have that. Right. Yeah. And so um, we're learning. You know, I think all of us uh, during those first few months uh, realized, um, you know, how we can do better. And, and everyone stepped up. Right. The, the supply chain stepped up and, and worked overtime. Um, UPS stepped up and worked overtime. And so, you know, um, all of these businesses, um, you know, who, who were lucky enough to be in kind of the right place at the right time. Um, who didn't have to deal with with these layoffs, um, you know, they were stepping up and, and it's not always easy to do that when when you're worried about your own family and, and the health and, and care of, of, of your uh, employees. Uh, yeah. So Jonathan, you mentioned something a couple of minutes ago. Um, and Bianca, I think you started it off. I mean, obviously, husband, wife team. Um, Jonathan's the scared one. Um, so does that mean that Bianca is the fearless one that um, jumps through uh, jumps through um, uh, flaming hoops or whatever? I mean, how does the how does the relationship between the two of you and growing the business work? And it's obviously worked from you know a very very early stage in your relationship. So I always say just fire and ice. Um, exactly what you just said, um, Bianca. Kind of I. How do you say it, Bianca? You lay the tracks or I lay the tracks? 
I lay the track and then John kind of hammers in exactly. the, the nails. Hmm. Um, and so that's kind of how we work. So he, I'm always looking forward and he's always looking back, taking care of, you know, what we've built um, and making sure the train is, is still moving forward. Um, but we, we really do make what I think is an incredible team. I mean, we've made it this far. Uh, when COVID hit, I actually said, we're prepared for this. We spent two years in a garage working together side by side, didn't leave each other. Um, and this is back before we even got married, you know? And so you said it was, it was risky uh, to start a business and um, be dating. Uh, but in my mind, I thought, well, it's not risky. You just break up, right? It doesn't matter. Then the company doesn't go anywhere. It's really not a big thing. It'd be risky if we were married yeah. and started a company. Cause then it's like, what do you do? You know? Um, and luckily we, you know, I was think. Uh, you know, God just put us together because um, we make an incredible team. I, I'm the fire. I'm the one who's fearless. And, and John's the one who kind of tames me um, and helps me prioritize, you know, the, the most important things to focus on and um, keeps us on budget and calls things out when he sees them, you know, and, and I'm, I'm the crazy one who, who's got these mm -hmm. grand visions, um, and, but need help getting there. Um, and so we just make this, this really incredible team and, and I'm very lucky to have him. I, I hope he, he thinks the same. Vice versa, yeah. <laughs> Jonathan, you didn't seem as enthusiastic about that on that one. That's my personality. <laughs> That's just who I am. As Bianca mentioned, as I He's said, fire and ice. Yeah. yeah. And I don't I'm get too high. I don't get too low. It's just always, like I said, trying to move forward what we've built, um, but yeah. also trying to remain on the tracks and not kind of veering off in one direction and making sure that we're staying focused on the goals um, while Bianca cre keeps creating the new goals. So, um, so you start the business from a garage in Miami, um, just started dating. Um, you're now here in Charlotte. So it ob obviously at some point in time you pick up and you, um, you bring the relationship, you bring the business um, to a brand new city. Um, you know, how did you choose Charlotte? Um, what has Charlotte given you? Um, and then ultimately we'll, we're kind of getting close to wrap up, but we'll eventually end up in a place where we talk about Bianca, what are the big vision picture at least that you're willing to share? Yeah. You want to take that one? The first part of that, John? Sure. The Charlotte one. Yeah. Yeah. So Charlotte, I feel like really gave us a home. Um, it also freed us a lot from distraction. Um, while we do love our families and our friends, you know, being in a place where you're constantly being pulled left and right can make it really difficult, you know, starting from the a business from the ground up um, and being here kind of just freed us to really think about what we wanted for the long term. And Charlotte, like I said, just a city in terms of cost of living and a place that is just a really nice place to live where people around you are caring. And, you know, there's, it's just, it's just a good place, honestly. I mean, it's, it's, it's been, it's been what propelled us forward. I think one of the main things for sure, um, the people we've met, um, the level of education here is also huge. I mean, you have the research triangle three hours away, two and a half hours away. You have the Dukes of the world, North Carolina, Wake Forest, um, a lot of good schools around here also. And it just felt like the perfect storm of places, I guess. I wouldn't say storm cause it's very calm here, but the perfect storm of kind of like education, cost of living and just startup ecosystem that really once being here, I mean, we can't picture Carewell anywhere else at this point. You know, it's Charlotte is home for Carewell. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just a ton of great companies as, as well. Um, you know, we've got Red Ventures, we've got Password, we've got these huge, you know, for, for a relatively small city and, and it's not one that is, you know, a San Francisco or New York, we've actually got huge uh, startup companies, you know, people who have scaled businesses before. Um, and you don't get that in a lot of places. You might get a lot of startups, but not ones that have scaled to to billion dollar in, in, uh, in valuation. And we've got probably what, maybe not a billion dollars, but close to but a few hmm. companies, you know, Lending Tree uh, is another one. And so uh, Red Ventures, Avid Exchange. Yeah. So um, that was really intriguing for us. It was like, well, why? Why of all these big cities is Charlotte, right? And so we dug deeper and we realized, you know, you've got huge companies here. You've got um, small companies here. You've got a good mix of, of everything. Um, it's calm. You know, you can pay attention to the things that matter. You can, you know, ignore the things that don't. Um, and we're also building a company of care, you know, that it's really based in care. We, I'd never been to the South before, uh, when I came to Charlotte and everybody was By saying, the way, Hello. Miami is not the South. <laughs> yeah. That's not the South. That's what we call North Cuba. <laughs> it is South, but it's not the South. <laughs> it's funny. 
my son's learning the my, my son's learning the um the state capitals right now and they they started off in the northeast and now they're in the southeast i'll have to let them know that they should put florida somewhere else apparently not the southeast well right? just south florida is just yeah. not the south yeah. <laughs> florida is south but um and so you know i i came here and we'd be in the street and people would say hello and they'd wave and that was just such a shock to me i was like wow it's so nice or like, are they, is that me to me, you know, and growing up between, I lived in New York for school and, uh, Miami, it's just not like that. Um, and so, you know, when you think about building a business and creating an environment of care, um, sh- there's no better place to do that than, than Charlotte, in my opinion. Um, and to make sure that we pay, you know, the people who work at Carewell a living wage, um, in a place where they can actually, you know, have a, a quality of life. Um, I don't think that there is a better place um, than Charlotte. And so all of these ty- kind of things which John is referring to as a perfect storm um, led us to just immediately, you know, fall in love with the city. And we're so grateful to be here. I mean, you have no idea. Um, every time we leave Charlotte and come back, we're like, wow, this is like an even better place than what I, I remembered. Yeah. Um, we just got back from vacation. And, you know, I've been saying that for the last two days, probably driving John nuts, um, but we truly mean it. Um, I've always said I, that, so it doesn't drive me nuts. I like hearing it. <laughs> I, I, I know I don't. I don't think that uh, we could have done this anywhere else. Yeah. So um, interesting. Um, the companies you just mentioned. We'll just uh, read them back to you real quick. You mentioned Red Ventures. You mentioned Lending Tree. You mentioned Passport. You mentioned Avid Exchange. Um, all four companies, billion-dollar unicorn companies, right? So interesting that you mentioned unicorn companies as we talk about your own companies. So um, that propels us to what's the growth for for Carewell from here, and how do you follow in those footsteps? Absolutely. I mean, we absolutely um, want to be a major company. Our goal is to reach as many caregivers as possible. Right, and in order to do that, uh, you need to sell as many pro- products as possible, create as much content as possible, um, and then you know, through partnerships as well. Right, there's there's a lot of great resources in our space and uh, software and things like that that just people don't know about. Um, and so, uh, you know, our, that's our goal um, is to be as big as we possibly can be, reach as many people as we can, touch as many lives. Um, so I absolutely see ourselves uh, into the future as as being, you know, uh, one of those companies in Charlotte, you know, that that is a unicorn company. Um, you know, I think there's definitely space for more. I hope that that it's not just us, and I uh, assume that it's not just us. Um, and so that's what's exciting about being here is growing alongside of so many incredible companies. My cousin Adrian actually is uh, one of the founders of Lucid Drones, oh, yeah. um, and. And, uh, you know, just growing alongside, you know, his business as well is, is in, you know, and we're both from Miami, uh, both moved to Charlotte. You know, he went to Davidson and just, you know, stayed here to, to start that business. And, you know, he says the same thing. You know, there's not a better city right now to grow a startup company than Charlotte. Um, and so it's, it's an incredibly exciting time for the city. Um, and, and I think, you know, COVID, again, is going to just uh, push us deeper um, into, you know, a startup capital. I think, you know, people are starting to look at different places to move and, and considering different options. Um, and these, uh, you know, smaller cities that, that aren't ex- incredibly high prices um, are, are really starting to look great. Um, and when you're running a business and, and you're running it lean, how, you know, and, and people are going back to fundamentals right now um, and, and making sure that you're, you're building a sustainable business, just not just a, an incredibly high growth one, um, cities like Charlotte are, are, are going to, going to be there ready, um, to help support that growth. So, um, kind of on that note and a shameless plug, um, the venture for America program, y'all have hired some venture for America fellows in the past, correct? Yeah. I, I would say one of our best hires that I think we'll ever make, um, was our first hire from venture for America. Her name's Brianna. She's actually just on Inno's, uh, 25 under 25, along with my cousin, Adrian. And, um, she, I mean, is just one of the most talented, hardworking, giving service oriented, um, people. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky to call her a friend and, and a coworker. Um, and you know, we would have never found her if it wasn't for Jonathan, uh, who found her resume and all of the like 200 resumes and at VFA, um, and through the VFA program. So we're, we're super lucky, um, to have her and, and, and thankful for, for the VFA program. 
Yeah, we're always asked, um, you know, who's the heart and soul of Carol? And I think without even a thought, it's always Brianna. So it's been great. Um, I have sec- second everything Bianca said. <laughs> That's awesome. So, no, nah, it's a great program. So what's on the um, – so you raised $5 million. You, you um, In the process of doing that, I guess um, you've hired out an executive team. So you started to fill out the components that you need to – to grow care well. Um, but what's next on, right? What's the next 12 to 24 months of growth look like for y'all? Um, where do you go from here? We're really focused on, on three things is, um, you know, building out the team. We just, uh, shameless plug just, uh, was awarded one of the best places to work in Charlotte. Um, and congratulations. Thank you. Um, so building out a team of people who really um, are excited and passionate about what we're doing and about the mission and, and, and um, you know, servicing others um, is going to be step one, right, uh, for, for three different things. And so the first is, um, you know, building a brand that people trust. Um, so that's through a few different things, you know, partnerships uh, with, with experts and, and medical professionals um, and content. Um, that really, again, is actionable advice and uh, to-dos and, and product guides and how-tos um, is going to be, you know, that first uh, first step. Uh, the next is is acquiring more customers, is reaching a larger audience, right? Letting more people know that we exist. Because um, right now, you know, we've had a limited budget to do that. And so, you know, expanding um, our advertisements, expanding, you know, the, the way that we reach uh, our customers is a second and third, it's about building strong relationships with those customers and, and really retaining them. Um, and so making sure that we have, we just launched an auto ship program, um, you know, that allows customers to subscribe to a set of goods um, or products that, you know, get delivered on a, on a, on a regular cadence, um, you know, email marketing and, and sending out uh, the right type of content that helps support them through their caregiving journey um, is, is going to be the last point. And so that's really what we're focused on. Um, next year, we we will probably raise again. Um, you know, if, if all goes well, and and hopefully COVID comes under wraps a little bit, and, and we can actually get back out there. Um, and so, you know, just focus on growth right now and and reaching more people. Um. So, um, qu- quick question. Um, kind of circle back around, and then we'll wrap up. Um. Have you, um, you've grown along the way and you bootstrapped along the way, you borrowed money to get there. Um, but in a business like this initially, were you focused on controlling a cost enough to maintain at least some version of profitability kind of along the way? Or was it a constant, we're constantly kind of chasing it? I guess going forward, it's as you raise money, you're, you're, you've got to, right? You've got to spend in order to grow. But was the first step profitability or was the, were you always kind of in that mindset of we, we need to kind of grow, even if it means a negative spend uh, perspective? Yeah, we've always been focused on growth. Um, our goal was always to reach as many caregivers as possible. Um, and since day one, that, that has been what we've done. Um, so our, you know, the av- what we're doing right now is not changing at all. You know, how we've been, um, you know, operating as a company, uh, we've, we're just doing it with a lot better people and a lot more capital. Right. And, um, we're just going to continue, uh, again to, to try to hit our goal, um, and try to serve as many people as we possibly can. So then the the business model all along was to serve as many people as possible. It wasn't to be a niche. We're going to service the people in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, you really started to realize from an early stage that you were providing a very necessary and needed product and it needed to get out to as many people as it could. Yeah. I mean, our, our, our mission as a company is to improve the lives of caregivers and help them provide better care to their loved ones. Right. Um, and so we, we can do that through our service. Um, and then the goal is to, to do that with as many people as we possibly can. So, well, um, it certainly looks like you're, um, certainly looks and sounds like you're well on your way to doing that. So congrats on all the, um, all the growth that you've seen so far. And I look forward to ripping up the um, CBJ or news or Charlotte Observer one day and seeing the the unicorn status as well. So um, (laughs) keep up the good work. And um, again, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. And um, we'll see you out in the community when we can all get back out there, right? Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. 
great to be here and, and thank you for having us. Yep, appreciate thanks for it. having us. and the opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Portis Wealth Advisors does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interest may be offered only to persons who qualified as accredited investors under applicable state and federal regulation or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interest. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in the market conditions and interest rates, and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.